Welcome to Hold Up, the podcast where we watch our favorite rom-coms and decide whether they hold up. I'm Carrie Gilbert. I'm Allison Gilbert. And this is our mini-sode, our second mini-sode about Evie Drake Starts Over by Linda Holmes. So we, in this episode, are going to be discussing the second chunk, which is winter. Winter. Also the season we're currently in. Yes. Also, the shortest. It was pretty short, which I appreciate. I like a short winter. Read it moved on to one, spring. Read it in one sitting. Yep. Also, just because it was good. Also, because this section could have also been called heavy flirting and plate smashing. <laughs> the heavy flirting. Look, am I a single woman living with my parents who's been in quarantine since March? Yes. But there's so much good flirting. <laughs> There's so much good flirting. <sighs> All right. So we last left Evie and Dean. They were they had broken their promise to not talk to each other about her husband who she was leaving and then died. And he, she wasn't going to ask him about his baseball career. They broke that. They're now talking about it. And now <laughs> now we're getting flirty. Yeah. They went on like a mini, mini like day trip road trip together, which was. <sighs> Really fun and sexy. And then, yeah, we had some flirting. And some maybe yeah, kissing. Yeah, he fucking bought her kissing. a Kroller and then told her he wanted to kiss her. And I was like, I, all I want in the world is for someone to buy me a Kroller and then tell me they want to give me. <laughs> it's me dream. It's so perfect. <laughs> I feel like um, Linda Holmes was like, what are two things I like? Donuts and being asked to be kissed. And I was like, yeah, that rules. <laughs> Great. Love it. Um, yeah, and we get a little more conflict. We get a little more flushing out of both of their issues. Um, also in this chunk, um, Evie's best friend Andy finds out that puts together that she was leaving on the day that her husband died. Yeah, he does a little sleuthing. Never told anyone, including him. And we get sort of like this flashback about how much he took care of her and how much he was there for her in the immediate aftermath of her husband's death. Um, And she was, you know, kind of hid this like little, not little, fairly big nugget of information. Um, So we get some conflict between Andy and Evie that we haven't really yet resolved. Um, So that's making me anxious. I assume since this is, um a happy book that we will resolve it i'm gonna assume but i don't like it i don't like i don't like where we're at right now one of the things and we've talked about this in terms of movies like rom-coms that depict grief is we 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 on this podcast stand an accurate depiction of grief and one of the things that's really interesting about this movie as opposed to like a the sleepless in seattle or another sort of like rom-com born or like with a grief stricken character is that like she was leaving him and continually says she doesn't miss him. So then when we get this flashback of her, like not like being sort of in bed and being, you know, needing him, needing all this help from him and needing all this caring from him. And it's just such a really interesting, a worse written book would have her like either not need that or like feel like, joy or relief and instead you still get the grief of losing someone and also the complicatedness of like this is the first time she's been cared for 
because her husband sucked. This is also like the first time she's really been cared for in a while. I don't know. There's just like there's so many layers of that grief that in that flashback are so interesting. And it's not. You know, there's sort of this like fear unwritten, like, did she take advantage of him in this kindness? And it's sort of like, no, she's still allowed to grieve her husband, even though she was leaving him. I don't know. It just adds like a complicatedness to the situation. That's really interesting to unpack. We also get some interesting flushing out because we get like Dean's perspective on Andy and Evie's relationship. So we get some more flushing out of like the complexity of their relationship. He calls them like platonic soulmates. And he says oh, like, I that's that line I like yeah, that. which I loved. I loved that description um, because I feel like platonic soulmates isn't. It's a thing. It's a, it absolutely exists and we don't give it a lot of credence in storytelling or we don't explore it in storytelling. And Dean says, like, it's not a thing that people necessarily understand. Mm-mm. And again, I think that that's kind of a chicken in the egg. Like, I think people don't understand it because we don't get it a lot in storytelling. And people don't talk about it a lot. It's also complicated. There's – Right. As- no, I and I, I think it's compl- – I think particularly when you're talking about a platonic soulmate relationship where there is the possibility of romance – Things are complicated. You know, Dean says to her, like, that's an intense relationship. And so we learn in this in this chunk that Andy has begun dating a woman. And Dean is saying to Evie, like, even though you and he are reassuring her that that there is nothing between you. And even if that's completely true for her, like, there is still this woman in his life that she has to not compete with, but like be aware of and find where and she it's taking fits a, in like yeah um and as someone with a couple very close friendships with straight men which there have never been a romantic aspect to it like it's not even the two people and i'm thinking of are two of my best friends but there has never been this sort of like complicated you know, will they, won't they to it. But when one of them started dating his now fiance, who is also one of my best friends, even she was like, nothing ever. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. And both of us sort of reassured her and we're like, we don't know. We don't have an answer for you of why not. It just isn't something that was ever a part. Their romance was never a part of the relationship. It never will be. And that's the best answer I can give you. Mm hmm. And and it there and there, I think people do get sort of confused by it, partially because it's like, well, if you're both single, why wouldn't you at one point just try? And the answer is like, because sometimes you're not attracted to people in that way, even if they're attractive. Mm-hmm. And it's a hard thing to sort of. And I think one of the interesting things Linda Holmes is playing with is like, in a different novel, the sort of like best friends falling in love is the story. Mm-hmm. And so in this, when it's not the story, you still have to unpack why not and unpack that relationship and how your relationship changes when uh, that person gets a partner, gets a romantic partner. Yeah. Yeah. And I've and just I, never seen it depicted in movies or books before. It's really. It's really refreshing and I really love it because I feel like oftentimes the best friend in the rom-com is just there as the best friend. They're just kind of there as as a plot device, as a confidant. Sounding board, yeah. A sounding board, right. And and I love that this best friend relationship is all of that, but then also 
has its own complexities. It has its own conflict and it needs some unpacking um, in a way that we really don't see. I, I really can't think of another, whether it's a book or a movie or a show that explores this kind of relationship in this way. And I really like it. No, it often feels like this is the part of rom-coms, particularly older rom-coms, I would like to think we're moving out of it, where they often would use a gay character. You put in Mm -hmm. sort of the leading woman has a gay best friend so that you don't ever have to answer that question of why aren't these two people together. And then that led to some stereotyping and sort of, you know, abuse of the gay best friend character that is a different TED Talk I could unpack wholly at a different time. But what's interesting about this is we're not giving it that sort of external barrier. That's not sort of like, you can't sort of brush off the will they, won't they with no, because one of them is gay. Mm -hmm. You have to, you have to unpack, which like even in relationships between gay, like even in gay friendships and straight friendships, that's not the only reason those two people aren't together. I Like, right. it's just an easy reason to give it for why they're not getting together. But when you take that away, you now really have to, like, look at relationships on a deeper level and look at sort of the complexity of even non-romantic relationships in a way that's really interesting and in a way that lesser writers write away with by using sexuality as a device rather than part of a mm-hmm. person that, adds to who they are and makes them a whole person right yeah my dad yeah, really my ted liked... talk on the use of the gay best friend is imminent if ted talk would just call me yeah i really this would i you know i really liked the first piece of this book i liked this better i assume i'm going to continue to like the book more and more as i read i mean the first piece was doing a lot mm-hmm. of sort of this the stage setting, the world building, the character development. This, we got to kind of dive a little bit deeper into, I think, our two primary relationships, which are Evie and Andy and Evie and Dean. And they're kind of happening in parallel. And it's nice. It's really nice. And the the Dean-Evie relationship is... Um, sexy. Hot. Yeah. Without- no one has... No mouths have touched yet. It's very sexy. Yes, the the anticipation is very sexy. Um, And also, I just, like, I like them both as leads. I like the Dean character a lot. He's really interesting and hot, even, you know, even though he's not, there's no visual. Like, he's just a hot character. Well, because he's got, like, he's, like, damaged, and he's very honest with her about both of their damn. Like, he's not being sort of, like, overly kind, but he's also not being, toxic. like, mean or abusive. Like, he, right, yeah. he's not being toxic. Like, they have a very, uh, he's very honest with her and sometimes bluntly, mm-hmm. but it never crosses a line into dangerous. And he's also not sort of a stereotype of, like, nice guy's going to get the girl, like, He's, they're real. These are real, multidimensional, troubled people. Mm-hmm. And why don't we get that more? I mean, part of it is because we talk about movies and it's harder. It's, it's hard. You know, you have less space in a movie. But I really, I really enjoy it. 
She smashes mm-hmm. all her plates because they were her wedding china that she felt she had to keep until he was like, you don't have to keep anything. Yeah. And so she smashes a bunch of plates in a very fun <laughs> scene. Yeah. Yeah. The first time I read this book last summer, I was sort of off put by that scene. I was, I think like, I, it felt like it came kind of abruptly and rereading it again. I was like, oh no, this makes more sense. Like it just, like the, when your emotions are so pent up, you don't know what to do. You have to break something. It like rereading this book, that scene made more sense to me and may, and felt more in place. And maybe it's cause now I've been with these characters for the entire book and a half but I, I don't know, rereading, rereading is cool, guys. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it does, it happens very abruptly that she's, like, smashing these plates and their conversation kind of escalates very quickly. But I also think that, again, that's part of grief is, like, when you've got all of this emotion pent up and she's not talked to anybody about it except now this, I mean, virtual stranger. I mean, at this point, he's been living with her for several months, but to the up until the point that he's living with her they didn't they don't know each other and she's he's become her release in a lot of ways and I think that it's authentic it's very genuine this sort of this sort of written depiction of pent-up grief and pent-up emotion I saw I saw some TikTok this week that was a woman being like I've heard a lot of people are still like having a hard time this week and they feel like they shouldn't because we have a new president and uh, the vet like vaccines are starting to be doled out and there should be relief. And what that is, is your body has been in survival mode and now it feels safer and it's allowed to feel everything. And that like that is the scene that is she is now uh, not with her husband. He's gone. She can finally have someone she can be honest with it about. And so she feel and so there's like a safety in being able to smash all those plates and him literally just like stand there and let her. Yeah. And it's this sort of it. It's the like if she lets any of it out, it'll all come out. She finally has this person it can all come out with, and so it does in a very cinematic way. I don't know. I just think it's a really interesting like way to write sort of the trauma release, basically. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is it's that moment of like, oh, OK, I've I've found a, a soft spot to land. So I'm going to let all of this emotion that's been in me like just pour out. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's really interesting. This this book is begging to be made into a movie. I hope somebody buys the rights to this movie. I'd be surprised uh, I mean, if it wasn't already, but I haven't has done a lot of research because um, I feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff here have a beautiful location you could have like a beautiful location so you'd have a visually appealing movie carrie's already cast. cast it i'm in yeah i've already cast i it. was trying to figure out as i was reading this and i was reading the sort of like flat no it's not even really a flashback it's just sort of like her explaining the immediate aftermath of her husband's death i was like how would you would it, it I, like i don't feel like it would be i don't feel like this movie is begging for flashbacks i don't feel like tons of movies are begging for flashbacks but like how would you have to like show the lead up would it be at the beginning of the movie i don't know i was trying to figure out how you would write it i don't have an answer yet and also no one's asked me to figure that out but i like if this is inevitably made into a movie i'll be interested to see how all mm-hmm. of those sorts of expositiony but important things are conveyed yeah yeah. 
Um, and anyway, in the end, now he's going to teach her how to pitch so that she can know what it feels like to not be able to pitch. Right. Which is an interesting. It's interesting. Like, it's a it's a weird thing to request. I mean, clearly she's a fixer. We get this wonderful scene where she goes to a therapist to talk about her friend and the therapist is like, yeah, but let's talk about you. Do you want to talk about you? I love that scene. Which is really lovely. And and it just is so true about therapy and how people come to therapy and like their journey to even getting there in the first place. Because if the therapist can tell her how to fix them, she can fix them. It's that easy. Right. Right. Um, so the then therapist this, is like, like, oh, your husband's dead and you don't seem that bothered by it? Girl, let's talk. Right. Like, sit down. <laughs> Give me 15 minutes. Um, yeah. So this, like, request that he teach her to pitch so then she can know what it's like to not know how to pitch is really interesting. And it's interesting in a love story because it's. And, you know, they, they're they not at the point where they're acknowledging love. She does say lust at one point, that she's feeling lust. Well, and him. he said he wants to kiss her. There's also a little, I caught it this time, a little uh, spoiler within the spoiler, where when he says, I have to find it because I underlined it. Um, when he says he wants to kiss her, she says, uh, she opened her mouth and what came out was, and one day much later, they'd both agree that was what it sounded like. Buh. So they're telling you right there that one day they will talk about this. Right. Um... Which I like. Tell me this is not going to end badly early on. Right. Just, just like, <laughs> let me know I'm in for like a good ending. Um, anyway, I like it in a love story because it's that thing of where like when you love somebody, you want to try and feel what they're feeling. You want to understand them in a really intimate way. And I don't know that I've ever seen it this bluntly or explicitly I mean I think in a like a lot of times that desire gets in storytelling like that desire gets written as sex and yeah so to do it in especially this way, in romance novels in romance yes. novels they would be already having sex by now and they have not even kissed right because hot, hot, hot. I think sex is that physical manifestation of wanting to know somebody you're falling for intimately. And instead, and this, what we're doing is instead of the sex, instead of playing physically manifesting that in sex, we're physically manifesting it in baseball. In baseball. And and it's kind of brilliant. And it's also, again, far more authentic. And that's like, yes, couples physically manifest their need for intimacy in sex, but they also manifest it in arguing and in learning each other's nuances and in learning each other's idiosyncrasies and in learning each other's hobbies like that feels really authentic too and yeah I I just am really enjoying this book well then I can't wait to see what happens in spring I already know what happens in spring I've read this already I can't wait for you to find out what happens in spring and for me to revisit it almost like I it was midnight and so I put the and my children get up at 6 30 so I put the book down but I started to read spring just because I fucking I wanted so. to be spring I just I'm over winter enjoy yeah winter sucks I am enjoying this book but also I was like if I read it now I'm not gonna remember yeah what where we started and ended two weeks from now so I have to 
put a pause on it until we record again. But it is, if you were not spacing this book out for the sake of a podcast, you could read through it in a few days and be oh. have a really enjoyable few days. This is 100% a book that I would like stay up to read in a cozy a. sweater by the fire in yeah. a cabin in Maine. Yeah. We have so many places to travel when we're allowed to travel again. I'm going to go to Maine and find me a hot retired baseball player. I tell you that much. Um, (laughs) Anything else on winter? No. Excited to read spring. Join us um, next week for our um, regularly scheduled episode on the movie Definitely Maybe. And then in two weeks, we'll be discussing spring. Spring. Um, um, will it, maybe it'll be spring by then. I don't know how time works. Um, also, we live in Chicago, so probably not. Yeah, probably not. But one can hope. Uh, yeah, you can. And if tell us, find us online at, and tell us how you're feeling about this book. Um, you can find us on Instagram at hold underscore up underscore pod and on Twitter at hold underscore up underscore podcast. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Bye. Bye.